your presence to bless your name to worship you we know lord that a thousand tongues would not be enough to praise your name a billion words cannot describe how good you've been to us but lord accept our thanks accept our praise accept our worship in the mighty name of jesus lord as we continue your presence lord we pray in the name of jesus that today lord Speak to us, Lord. Speak through us, O oh God. Let us hear as we ought to hear. Let us receive as we ought to receive. And when we are done, Lord, let your name and your name alone be glorified. Honor and glory we give unto you, Lord. In Jesus' victorious name we are prayed. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everybody. And how are you doing? How's, how's your praise going on? Amen. How is your praise going on? Because, I mean, if you're in God's red house, you know, today, uh, this week is uh, a praise week. And uh, every evening and all through the day, we're just in a praise mood. We're just celebrating God, worshiping him, dancing and blessing his name for the good thing that he, he has done and so much more that he's still going to do. Amen. If you are new to God's Red House, we welcome you. Uh, just indicate on the platform wherever it is you are uh, to the online pastors. And we just want to celebrate you and thank you for joining us. Uh, God bless you. Our prayer is that today as you have come, God will reach you. God will touch you wherever it is you are. Uh, uh, we know that with God, there's no distance in space. So God will reach you. God will touch you. And it will, from today, begin to do new things in your life that will take you to higher grounds in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I celebrate you again. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Um, for those that have been with us, you know that we've been studying the book of Hebrews for some time now, and we're almost, almost at the end of the book of Hebrews. Uh, today we're taking chapter, 11, uh, chapter 12. Amen. Today we're taking chapter 12. And it's been an exciting journey, a very interesting journey. So we have a long uh stuff long a lot of stuff to discuss today so i won't waste any much time i'll dive in straight up so i'll be reading hebrews chapter 11 i'll read from beginning to the end therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives 
after all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a, peace, a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weakness. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. Verse 14. Walk at living in peace with everyone and walk at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessings, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. <laughs> they staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, amen, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the heavenly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who spoke to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed, so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please, and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring 
fire. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word in the mighty name of Jesus. So, if I was to capture what, I mean, in, in one word, the, the, the topic for today, I will call it God's discipline and his love. God's discipline and his love. All right? Um, we'll, we'll just dive in because we're really, 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 uh, I don't know how we'll be able to even squeeze everything. But whenever we get to, we'll see what, what happens next. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You know, we're talking about a lot of witnesses, a crowd of witnesses. This scripture was actually connecting to um, the, the witnesses that was recorded in chapter 11 that we talked about last week. Where we were talking about the people of faith, Sarah, Abraham, uh, Isaac. A, a, lot, a lot of people was mentioned there. You know, Esther, a lot of people was mentioned there as, I mean, there were about 14 of them that were mentioned in, in, in the chapter 11, talking about their faith. So what the scripture is saying here that, that these people are part of the, the crowd of witnesses because it says there was such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So these people here represents those that are going, the, the, the folks that are already in heaven. They are long gone, but they made heaven. And it's as if they are sitting there in heaven, looking down on us on the face of the earth today and watching what we are doing, watching and looking down. And not only them, the truth is that all those that have made heaven, all those that have lived a righteous life, are part of the crowd of witnesses that have lived a life of faith, are part of the crowd of witnesses sitting there in heaven, looking down and watching us. They are joining the angels. They are joining all of the heavenly beings, and they are looking at us and watching and saying, what are we going to do with our lives? And that's, I mean, that is huge. So if, if, if you have a like Pastor would always say, a grandmother that was that lived a, 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 a Christian life a Christian life and, and lived for God. She is in heaven. She is looking down on Pastor and looking down and saying, What is Pastor doing with God's God's favorite house? If you had a, 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 your, your, your father or your mother that maybe they've gone to be with the Lord, they're in heaven, they're looking down and saying, What are you doing with your life? If you are a, an orphan, your parents are dead. They, are, they made heaven. They are looking down and looking at you and saying, what are you doing with your life? Question is, are you going to make them proud? Are you going to make them proud? Because they are not alone there. They are with the angels. They are with God. They are with Jesus. They are with Moses. They are with Abraham. They are with Isaac, Jacob. They are with all of those patriarchs. They are with so a crowd of witnesses, that's what the Bible says. Next thing it says that let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Sin is the weight that slows us down there because it says especially the sins that, that so easily trips us up. Sin comes in so many subtle ways. Very subtle ways that has practically even People have built businesses around it. People have built a lifestyle around it. People have, and, and, and if you're not careful, you can switch 
from 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 I mean the, the, the thin line between doing wrong and doing right. Because a lot of things that would have been labeled big time sin has been so toned down nowadays that they can easily trip us up without us knowing. What are the simple examples that can trip us up? Gossip. I mean, what is gossip? Today, it's been watered down that gossip has been called a, a, a commonly accepted name, gist. Oh, yeah. Not all gist is bad gist. Not all gist is gossip. Yes, but almost every gossip is gist. Easily, easily trips us up. We have to be careful. Malice. Someone offends you. Someone does something you don't like. Legitimately, yes, you don't like it. Then you hold a grudge and you begin to hold malice. Easily, easy sin that can easily trip people over. Unforgiveness, very close to malice. Holding a grudge, unforgiveness. Disobedience. Do hey, you got the instruction. You refuse to do it. Those are the easy, every weight that can slow you down. Those are things that can slow people down. And all these easy sins, or would I call it uh, easy sin, or the, 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 the very subtle weights that can slow us down. The, 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 we don't get instructions from the scripture that we should actually blame the, the demons or we should blame Satan for them. No. We actually have been encouraged, because that's what the Bible says here, that let us strip off. We are the ones to strip off the weights. We are the ones to take a position. We are not to ask God necessarily to take them away from us. We are the ones that have to see them for what it is and take a position and say, no. Take, for example, gossip. Gossip at house, we say, we don't gossip here. I don't, we don't even say with a straight face. The way I do it. We do, we do with a, an attitude. We don't gossip here. Yeah, that's how we roll. We don't gossip in gossip at house. If you are new to us and you want to come and do cha 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 cha, sorry, don't. I don't want to say you haven't found your church, but don't. We don't do that here. We don't do that here. So we are the ones that have to take a position against all these subtle, subtle uh, scenes. Amen. Let us run the race that God has set before us. Us means that we are not alone. See the way the Bible, the, the, the scripture speaks. It says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Us, meaning we are not running it alone. If you need encouragement, look around you. There are people running the same race. Tap encouragement from them. Get encouragement from them. And not only them, Jesus is in the race with you, as we will see when we go on. Jesus is also there to encourage us. We need to endure. We need to push and keep pushing. If you are someone that, that exercises, you know that when you start exercising, when you start exercising, the point where the exercise begins to get to you and begins to build, let's assume it's your heart you want to work on or your muscles, the, the point where it begins to um, take the exercise is beginning to get worth it, is that point where you say, I am tired, 
I can't go on. If you actually push further from that point, that's when it begins to make sense. That's when the exercise kicks in. That's when you really get the value. Verse two, verse two. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. This is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of someone that endured. I can go on and on about how powerful Jesus is and how he could have refused or all those refraps that were taken into the cross. That, 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 that thought they were powerful. Or all those people that were whipping him and beating him and kicking him and, and, and embarrassing him just by looking at them alone. He could have taken them out if he wanted to. I can go on and on about how, how powerful he was. Remember, there's, 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 there's a story in... I didn't note that down. There's, but there's a story in the New Testament about when Jesus was preaching to some people at the head, uh, in, in the town, was preaching to them, and he preached so much, they did not like what he said, they were angry with the things he talked about, and the, the, the scripture says that they were pushing him to the edge of a cliff to push him down. And when they pushed him to that edge, he just turned back and looked at all of them, and immediately all everybody, the whole crowd, just went still. And the scriptures, the Bible says that he walked through them. So if Jesus had this kind of power, <laughs> he, he, was at the, he, he, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. They wanted to come and arrest him. Peter wanted to do it, but he took out his sword, cut off the hair of one of the people that came to arrest him. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. What has to happen has to happen. Took the hair from the floor, put it back, and the thing just gummed. Bah! No scar, I'm sure. Surgery with no scar. God, Jesus was that powerful. But guess what? He endured the cross. He, he gave us an example of how to endure what we need to go through. Endure, to, to endure means that we have to take our eyes off everything else. Jesus took his eyes off the people that were crying and weeping around him. Jesus, when he was on the cross, Jesus took, the, 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 took his eyes of the people that were saying, save yourself, save yourself. You called yourself the savior, save yourself. He took his eyes off them because he could have proven a point to them. But he took his eyes off all of them. Jesus is saying to us also, when we find ourselves on the cross, when we find ourselves in situations where God is, is, is testing us, God is taking us, on a journey, we need to endure. We need to look unto Jesus. Jesus looked only at the Father. Jesus looked only at the Father. Amen. Jesus looked only at the Father. Praise God. Okay, so Jesus looked only at, his, at the Father. He kept his eyes on the Lord alone, and that was what gave him encouragement and why he could go on. So, um, but the, the second part there says the, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Is the one that initiates and perfects our faith. So this scripture for me means that Jesus is, is like us writing an exam. Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith or the one that initiates and perfects our faith simply means that he is the one that has given us the assignment to do. He is the one that will 
mark the, ex the assignment for us to know whether we pass or not. And the beautiful thing about it now also is that he is there with us throughout when we're doing the assignments. I mean, it, it, that, that's just beautiful. It doesn't leave us. So he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He stays with us all the way. He continues, says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I've talked about this. The joy, he knew that he had to go to the cross for you and I to be here today, 2,000 years after calling ourselves Christians. If Jesus had aborted mission, we wouldn't have that privilege. We wouldn't have that privilege or the opportunity. He goes on. He says, despising the shame. Now, this is huge. This is huge because one of the most prominent elements of the torture of the cross was his extreme shame. That was the, the, the dying on the cross was a shameful death. Was a death um, was the kind of death that was given to people that maybe the, the, the crooked, the bad people of the, the worst of the society. They were the ones that were sent to die on the cross. Jesus endured this shame. He despised it, yet he endured it through, he endured through it to victory. When it comes to shame, one thing I find very interesting about us as Christians, even in today's world, is the fact that we will do about anything for Jesus. But when it comes to us being shamed for Jesus, I'm not saying being ashamed of Jesus. When it comes to us to be shamed for Jesus, ah, we fight it with everything inside of us, usually. When it comes to us being shamed for Jesus, what does being shamed for Jesus mean? Being shamed for Jesus could be to, to, to enjoy a lie for the sake of Jesus. Maybe there's something people are saying about you or saying around you, and Jesus says, keep quiet. But you know you, are, you want to defend yourself, you want to open your mouth to talk, but Jesus says, keep quiet. It's a tough place to be. And that is causing shame. It's, it's causing people to, to, even in your own mind, it's causing disrespect to the kingdom, to the work of God in your hand. But God is saying, mm, just keep quiet and watch. God is saying, I see, I know, I reward. It's tough. It's a tough place to be. It's a tough place to be. But God is saying, keep quiet. Don't fight for yourself. Take the shame. Take the embarrassment. A lot of Christians usually would resist this. But this is what Jesus did on the cross. He took the shame. He took the embarrassment. Verse 3 to 4. Think of all the hostility you endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Jesus endured hostility from all sorts of people. The religious leaders, Jesus endured hostility from them. His kindred, his family people. That's why he said, uh, prophet is not in his, in his hometown. They, they were hostile to him. He endured hostility from them. Even his disciples, Judas, backstabbed him. Have I not chosen 12 of you, yet one of you? Backstabbed him. If 
he endured such hostility from everybody. Because if you really look at it, when he was on the cross, you know, it's a common, a common saying around there. Uh, when you love someone, you will tell the person, I will die for you. How many of the people around him was willing to die for him? Yes, they followed him as best as they could. And as soon as he gave up the ghost on the cross, what happened? Everybody went back home. So in a way, you could even call that also some, some form of rejection. So he, everybody technically rejected him in a way. Only one person stood by him. And that was the person that sent him, God Almighty. And if you really look at it, when the things were going rough, when Jesus had to keep his eyes on someone, who did he keep his eyes on? That same God. Meaning that when things are rough, things are tight, things are not going as we planned, there's only one person to look onto. And that is the author and the finisher of our faith, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do I hear amen from everybody there? Yeah. <laughs> Verse 5 to 11. I'll read those very, very briefly because we're going to talk a little longer about this. It says, and have you forgotten the according what God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respect, respected our heavenly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and, and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Amen. In this scripture, discipline comes up about 10 times in this scripture that we just read. And, and, and the reality is that if we keep talking about discipline, 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 that we need, we need to pay attention to it. So what does it mean? What is discipline? Discipline means training. That's it. It means training. In other passages of scripture, the word is used in reference to a father's a father training his children. <coughs> or a father training his children, or training in righteousness, or in this context, God training his children. The writer of Hebrew is saying that God lovingly disciplines his children to train them to become spiritual champions. That's what he wants us to do. I remember, as I was reading this, I remember one of my teachers when I was in secondary school. His name is Mr. Jagada. He passed on a few months ago. You know, it, 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 this man, um, amazing teacher, very good teacher. But there was something that the whole school knew him for. The whole school knew that man. Nobody can flog like Mr. Jagede. He was a math teacher. <laughs> Nobody can. I, I'm not sure anybody passed through my school without receiving strokes of came from Mr. Jagede. It's not possible in that five years. Ah, ah, how? How? Are you an angel? 
<laughs> and his cane will always enter well. Guess what? When we were in school, all of us used to say, ah, Mr. Jekyll, this man, we don't like him. This da, 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 da. A few years after, 30 years plus after we left secondary school, he was sick. His, his dying days he was really sick. He was not in a very good condition. And um, fortunately also, um, he, he, he was struggling financially. So he needed support financially to help. I was amazed in our old school students association, how much money people were willing to contribute to just keep him alive. So in essence, what it meant was that even though it was flogging us back then and we did not like it, a few years down the line, we realized that every stroke of the cane that it probably gave, gave a lot of us was part of what God needed to use to reset us and put us in line to ensure we fulfill destiny. So this, when he was beating us or flogging us at that time, was looking back now, it wasn't just someone that would just flog for flogging sake. He usually would flog for discipline sake, get something right. Why he was very frequent at flogging was because he was always looking out for us, doing the things that we're doing wrong, unlike a lot of other teachers. So now I know better. Now I know better. I know why. And the same thing applies also. When we get discipline from our God, we need to understand that God is not punishing us. Which takes me to the next thing that we now know what discipline is. It is training. So what is discipline not? Discipline is not punishment. Sometimes when hardships and calamity fall upon us, we think that these sufferings are the punishments of our sin, for our sinfulness. No, not in all cases. Not in all cases. Hardship and suffering are not God's way of getting even. God is not interested in getting even, getting even with you. It's not, it's not like us humans. When, when you do something wrong, say, I'm waiting for you. No, sorry. That's the ideology of God. You got it wrong. God is not like that. Or you do something wrong. You, you know, um, it, it's like some of us have the mentality that God is like there, just sitting, holding his cane and say, okay, I'm looking for any of my children, any of my children that will misbehave so I can flog. Think of it. Do you do that for your own children? Think about it. Do you do that for your own children if you got if you if you got children? Or do you see anybody even, I mean, really, that has his head screwed properly that will do that? Just hold the cane, waiting. I'm moving around saying, Oh, yeah, I'm looking for one of you that will just misbehave. No, God is not interested in getting even. Neither is he looking for how to retaliate for the wrongs that we have committed. God's discipline is not the sentence for our sin. The punishment for our sins was laid on Jesus on the cross. Take it to the bank. The punishment for anything that we have done, that we are doing, it's already paid by Jesus. Take it to the bank. And it's paid once and forever. Amen. Say amen again. Paid once and forever. When God disciplines us, he's not trying to get back at us. He is not trying to draw us back. He seeks to bring us back to his will from that which will destroy us and towards his likeness. Amen. I agree God is a disciplinarian. Yes. God's discipline is a sign of personal relationship. You're not interested in disciplining anybody that you don't have a personal relationship with. Um, I, I, as in a few weeks ago, I was in my, my business at my business place, and um, there was this kid, um, belongs uh, the son of one of my staff, 
and um, the mom told him to do something, and he blandly refused. A small boy, or less than ten, blandly refused. It was like I was. I had to look around, like, "Hello, am I? Am I? Am I hearing this right?" I was like, "How?" But I wanted to give him both bars, both. You know, you know, you know what both bars, both me if you're in Nigeria. All right, but I couldn't. I had to stop because why? I don't have a personal relationship with him. So me going, trying to discipline was not going to make any effect. And that is how it is also. When God disciplines us, it's because God has a personal relationship or wants to have a personal relationship with us. Because discipline is oftentimes painful. Yes. Because at times it has to pepper us well for us to really hear, for us to understand and do what we need to do. God's discipline is for an ultimate purpose. God doesn't want to leave you where you are. Never. He's always taking us higher, which is why even in this season right now, what has he promised us? Higher grounds. Higher grounds. God doesn't want to leave anybody on lower ground. We are all going higher grounds. It will be tough for some people. Going to higher grounds. Imagine you're going on top of a mountain. You need to walk on your thighs. And how do you do that? Climbing the mountain is tough. It's tough. But yes, when you get to the altitude, that's when you know that you are in a good place. When you get to the, the altitude. Amen. God's discipline is for an ultimate purpose. Finally, God's discipline also seeks a finished product. God knows that we are all WIPs, work in progress. But he doesn't want to leave us there because we're not useful as work in progress. He wants us as a final, finished, beautiful product that he will look back and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that will be our story in the mighty name of Jesus. So what should our response to God's discipline be? Usually it's in threefold. One, we can resent God's discipline bitterly. We can resent it. It's our choice. We can accept God's discipline grudgingly. But what usually happens when we accept it grudgingly is that we, we just keep rigmaroling the same spots without really moving. We keep rigmaroling in the same spots without really moving. Or finally, we can embrace God's discipline willingly. We can embrace God's discipline willingly. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. So we move to verse, verse 12. Verse 12, praise the Lord. We move to verse 12. Verse 12 says, so take a new grip. Now, this is very interesting. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weakness. Ha. We're talking about discipline. So God has been, just imagine, God has been talking about discipline, discipline, discipline. Then when you have been so disciplined, God now says, take a grip with your tired hands. God is saying that hand, I know it is tired. But God is now saying at that time when it is tired, take a grip. I couldn't picture this because when you're tired, why do you want to keep gripping again and holding? You should be resting. 
That's the only logical thing. But God says, take a grip. Ha. Take a grip. There's a movie um, that some of you may have watched. The movie is called Karate Kid. So in this movie, there was a young guy called Daniel. And there was the, a, a teacher, all right? But he's a Kung Fu expert. They call him Master, Monsieur, Monsieur Miyagi. So Daniel was being bullied in school. So he said to Monsieur Miyagi, I said, please come and teach me Kung Fu. Let me, let me say it in a funny place. Master, master, teach me Kung Fu. Ah. <laughs> Just kidding. Let me move fast. So Daniel walked up to Monsieur Miyagi and says, teach me Kung Fu. He had to beg and appeal. Then finally, Monsieur Miyagi says, okay, no problem. I'll teach you. So this is what you do. Come to my house. So the first day Daniel came to his house, Monsieur Miyagi gave him a mop and a bucket. I said, yeah, start mopping the floor. But when you want to mop, mop in a particular pattern, mop round like this, mop round like this. He did that for the whole day. The next day, Monsieur Miyagi came again and said, now you paint my wall. And he gave him a bucket of paint and a, a small paintbrush. I said, you paint up, you paint down. You paint up, you paint down. You paint up, you, and it went on and on like that. And Daniel was like, teach me Kung Fu. I didn't say tell me to ourselves. The third day, he came again. Monsieur Miyagi took him to his garage. He had plenty cars there, old dusty cars. Now, Danielson, you wax car. Wax to the right, wax to the left. Wax to the right, wax to the left. Daniel did all the waxing on and on. And when it was done, he was tired, exhausted, hungry, upset. Hallelujah. So here was Daniel's son saying, my hand is gone. I'm tired. I've been cleaning your whole house. I'm, I'm, I can't do anything again. I'm tired. I'm going home. But guess what? With his tired hands, with his weak hands, bent up, bent down, he could now do what he never thought he could do before. Because all the time he was painting and painting up and down. He was waxing the car, right, left, right. He was mopping the floor, right. He was developing his muscles. He was doing all of that without him even knowing. And a lot of times when we're, dis we're being disciplined by God, that's exactly what is happening. God is saying, paint up, paint down. It doesn't make sense. Wax the car right, wax the car left. It doesn't make sense. So you're saying, God, this is just a waste of time. God is saying, wax it again right, wax it again left. God is saying, mop to the right, mop to the left. God is using that to develop you. It is a training that you are going through. Stay there and take it. Don't be like Daniel's son that wants to abort. Remember, the, the discipline is training. Discipline is not punishment. Amen. It's move really super fast right now. Verse 13 says, mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. This speaks very clearly. This speaks very clearly to us. And it's saying that we need to use our experiences 
to encourage the people around us. We need to use our experiences, the things that we have gone through, the discipline that we have gone through, that we have come out, the problems that we have gone through, that we have come out of. God is saying we need to use that to encourage the people around us. Verse 14 to 17. Work at living in peace with everyone. Work at, living a whole, work at living a holy life, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son of for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. This, this speaks to us very clearly on the things that we need to do. It says, live in peace with everyone. You are not going to get a miracle of how to live in peace with everyone. No. You have to work on that. You have to do that. You have a neighbor that is just troublesome. Just troublesome. And, you know, I, I, I used to say that... Um, my dad, my biological father, is the most gentle person probably on the face of the earth. <laughs> I mean, all my life, I'm 40, I'm 47 now, going closing to 50. All my life, I have seen him get angry only once. Only once. And when he got angry, I was like, is this anger? Is this how to even get angry? That's how my dad is a very gentle person. Okay, sorry, twice, twice. Two times. <laughs> All right. But the very first one that, uh, that was really hungry was that we had this neighbor back then when we were living in Bariga. We had this, this, this neighbor. That man was Trouble Incorporated. I don't want to mention his name. Trouble Incorporated. I don't even know where he is now. So even if I mention his name, I can't even know. But anyway, Trouble, in, even as young children then, we knew that, I mean, when I mean young children, I'm talking about when I was in primary school. Even as a young child then, I knew that this neighbor was trouble. Or he had issues with everybody in the neighborhood. We were living in a compound then that had eight, eight flats, yeah, eight three-bedroom flats, yeah. Yeah, so there was a big space in between where all the cars used to park. You know, I remember him very clearly. Trouble Incorporated. Can't even remember exactly what he did to upset my dad that day, but my dad was upset and he almost abused him. But again, because of his gentle nature, he had to he calmed himself down and just walked away. But we all knew that ah, daddy was upset. What am I going on in on and on with all of this? Is that in spite of all that we go that goes on around us, in spite of all that we face, scriptures is saying that walk, walk, not pray. Walk at living in peace with everyone. Walk at living in peace with everyone and walk at living a holy life. It is our responsibility. The things we do, all of this scripture from 14 to 17 talks about the things that we must do ourselves. Talks about the things that we must do ourselves. Now, I will run very fast and try and finish this the remaining it's a long one but i'll try and finish it in the next five minutes then we can bring pastor on verse 18 to 21 verse 18 to 21 says you have not come to a physical mountain to a place of flaming fire 
darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they, they, for they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Mount Sinai, this is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai represents a place of the fearful presence of God. So the children had just come out of, Israel, out of Egypt and God appeared to Moses and was telling Moses that, look, I said, I've isolated this mountain, Mount Sinai. It's going to be where I would show up to you guys. So what we're going to do is fence around the place. When I, when, when I show up, make sure nobody comes near, not even nobody, not even an animal, not even an animal must come near the mountain. If anyone or any animal comes close, you should not even move close to kill them. You should just stone them from afar. From afar. That is how God, how much God created fear. And anytime He wants to appear like that, He comes in the form of fire, thunder, earthquake, wind. Everything will just be shaking to announce the presence of God. Because yes, He is that awesome. He is that fearful. He is that powerful. So God was revealing His side of that that side of Him to the children of Israel. But guess what? The children of Israel, they saw that side of him. They were so afraid of him that rather than running and hiding under him and being gentle in the place, they said, ah, okay, okay, ah, if this God is this fearful, if this God is, is, is this scary, we don't want to be having direct communication with him. Moses, you go and do praise the Lord, Moses. You go and um, speak to God, and whatever God says, whatever God says, you, you will tell us. That's how we want to run from now. Whatever God says, you will tell us, and that's how that's how they kept rolling. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's how they kept rolling. Now you would think that. The fact that they had seen the fearful side of God, that this would mean that um, they, they will continue to be afraid of God and not, not uh, disrespect him. But guess what? Just a couple of days after, when Moses had gone up, they were right there creating an idol for them to begin to worship. That's how human beings are, fire, are, are wired. Fear alone is not enough to keep them in the presence to keep them or deter them from doing what they do, what they want to do. Verse 22 to 24. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirit of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out to vengeance like the blood of Abel. So we need to contrast now the differences between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Mount Sinai was marked by fear and terror. Mount Zion is a place of love and forgiveness. Mount Sinai was in the desert. Mount Zion is in the city of the living God. Mount Sinai spoke of earthly things. 
Mount Zion speaks of heavenly things. At Mount Sinai, only Moses was allowed to draw near to God. At Mount Zion, an innumerable company, a general assembly, is invited to draw near. At Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai was characterized by guilty men in fear. Mount Zion futures, just men made perfect. At Mount Sinai, Moses was the mediator. At Mount Zion, Jesus is the mediator. Mount Sinai brought an old covenant, which was ratified by the blood of animals. Mount Zion brought a new covenant, which is ratified by the blood of God's precious son, Jesus. Mount Sinai was all about exclusion, keeping people away from the mountain. Mount Zion is all about invitation and bringing people to God. Mount, Zion, Mount Sinai is all about the law, and Mount Zion is all about grace. Amen. So the last part, verse 25 to 24, before we bring, uh, before Pastor comes in. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. Also apt that we will end <laughs> the, 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 the scriptures, the, the verses by this. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the heavenly messenger who will certainly not escape if we will not we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, His voice shook the earth. But now He makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed, so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. So essentially what, what, what the scripture is saying is that since we are we, 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 we've been told that, that we've been told that we are not doing we're not going ahead with the concept of Mount Sinai anymore. We are now going with the concept of Mount Zion. Concept of Mazan is all about love and forgiveness. It's about the presence of God. It's about God drawing us to Him. It's about God making us just, making us perfect. It is about the, the presence of God. Praise the Lord. So, if we have any question at this point, we can go ahead and uh, bring in the questions, and um, we'll look through the questions. Um, let me quickly. Run through here. Any questions from anybody? Glory be to God. Okay, Pastor is here. Hey, welcome, sir. Hola. How are you? I'm doing good, sir. Okay, well done. Thank you, sir. I'm so excited. There's a lot to talk about here, but uh, where we are, praise God. I, I managed to get to the end before before everything. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Okay, while we're waiting for a question, sir, I have a question for you. Can uh -huh. I shoot? Shoot. Sir? Yes, go ahead, please. Okay, so the first the first um Hebrews 12 says that we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And I mean, they are, they are, these witnesses, a lot of them are sitting in heaven and they are looking down on us, watching what is going on on the face of the earth, watching what we are doing, 
watching what the people they left in quote the people they left behind what they are doing now the my understanding also is that heaven is not a place of sorrow heaven is a joyful place all right now all these people that have left the world they are looking down at all that is happening today how can they not be sad <laughs> As I was preparing this, I was troubled. I was asking myself that question. The, the only answer I could come up is the fact that it's just about capacity. When you get to heaven, you lose the capacity to be sad. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know? Is, is, that, is that the answer? Well, that's, that's an aspect of it. Okay, you know? so please help me, sir. Definitely that's an aspect of it. Um, so you you lose the capacity to be sad then also there is also you get to see things as god sees them you get the heavenly view so so the the in other words you 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 see how it's going to play out already so when they are looking at let's say they're looking at mr a and mr a is crying Mm. at this point because of all that is going through but mm. they already see that mr a is going to have victory mm, i just for a short while exactly <laughs> so the, the the all the troubles the pandemic and everything they already see the outcome mm. so they are at peace you know you know the, the illustration of um i think i've shared a friend of mine an acquaintance um that in those days where communication was not as 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 it is pervasive and all that, that it, it was coming from the US to Nigeria. So the time zone, time lag, all that, he actually missed a match. I think Nigeria, Argentina, I, I don't remember okay. <laughs> you know, and he, he got in and he thought he was watching a live match. Uh. <laughs> and he scored us one zero. He was abusing. Oh, I'm busy this player, I'm busy that player. They scored us 2-0. They scored us 3-0. He's put on TV. You know? <laughs> <laughs> then he went to put it all back. Then Nigeria scored one back. And he shouted, he screamed. But he noticed he was the only one shouting. He was like, these people, don't they have light? You know? And Nigeria scored again. You know? 3-2. It became 3-3. By the time it became 3-3, it was jumping. It was... <laughs> Glued to TV, then I think we won. Like, why is every why am I the only one shouting? Exactly. <laughs> why am I the only one shouting? Why am I the only one wanting to have a blood pressure here? Why am I the only one? But he, he couldn't he went to his back. He actually said he went to his balcony to look around. I mean, everywhere looked normal, but I was like, these people, maybe what's going on? He, the match was too engaging. So by the time it ended, I think we won 4-3. And he Ran to his neighbors. Ah, you guys don't get light, you know. <laughs> and they opened it the and they looked at him. I said, "What's the issue?" He says, "Ah, the Nigerian match now. We won four three. Did you see?" And they were looking at him. And they uh -huh. like they played the match yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, so imagine the pressure he was under. Mm. I'm sure his blood pressure must have risen. Mm. I'm sure he must have been so anxious. Now, question is, what if he already knew the results mm. and he was watching a, you know, a delayed match? I mean, a match that has already happened. Yeah. Would that change his attitude? 
Of course. Would he have we'll be watching we'll be watching with a drink and smiling? And smiling. When the scores one, two, three, we'll go ahead, we'll go ahead. we know where it's gonna end. <laughs> so the guys up there, they have the view that we don't have, and that is why God wants us to have mm. the view that he has and says be anxious for nothing. So mm. it's, it's not because we are in denial of the pain, but we know how it's going to turn out. Mm. It's not because mm. we are in denial of what you are going through, but we know you are going to be victorious at the end of the day. Mm. So we are smiling and we are laughing. It's not that we, 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 are, we are denying the pain of, 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 of our season, but we already know that we are more than conquerors. My thoughts towards you are thoughts of good. And all of it, I'll take you to an expected end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, <laughs> sir. Awesome. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's another major reason why their perspective um, is also is, is different, you know, from Hallelujah. ours. Yeah, a couple of others, but let's, let's stop there. Wow. Hiya. Thank you very much, sir. Okay. Um, I don't know if you have any other thing you want to add or comment, sir. There's no question online. No, no, no. I'm good. Okay, sir. Thank you very much for contributing that, sir. Okay. Well done, Pastor Kuli. That was amazing. Thank you, uh, sir. I, sometimes I wish we have uh, more time, you know, <laughs> to to unpack all this. The Word of God is fresh and, and, and sweet and amazing every single day. Okay, so... Um, so God's for house, let's remember that this is our year of lifting and we are lifted all the way. Amen. Amen, sir. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Cause I'm a tussie and